Thank you so much, you guys, for leading that. That was awesome. And um, yeah, we're just staying in a place, I guess, of just being aware of God's presence and um, just being together. And and we're going to have a look at some of the Bible and and have a look through a bit of a passage and um, let him speak to us through that. And then after that, we're going to have some response time and and share communion together and then keep singing. but if, if you haven't sort of been around the last few weeks or, or kind of haven't been tracking with where we're going, for the last five weeks, um, I've been sharing a series which actually came out of just a place where I was at um, yeah, about five weeks ago. I was just feeling kind of flat and just kind of not really engaged and sort of not really sure what the next season was going to be like and just felt God sort of call me just to this posture of being wholehearted and just to trust Him, just to be in and on board with Him no matter what happens, and just to take that posture of being wholehearted. And I sort of tracked with that theme through some different sort of lenses, through the idea of being generous, um, through trusting God and giving generously, um, through being devoted to Him in, in the idea of the call to be holy and set our lives apart for Him. And even last week, the idea of being filled with hope, um, not just when things look good and there's kind of some optimism, but actually when everything looks bad, that actually we can still have hope and be engaged in hope and act in hope. And we're kind of finishing it off tonight um, with this idea of being passionate. Um, And again, kind of like as we've been tracking, um, this word passionate, the way we kind of use it today mostly kind of refers often to like being really enthusiastic and kind of, it's a good thing. People really value passionate people. We want to be passionate people. People talk about their passions, their their, their things that they love to do. Um, And we want to be like that with, with the Lord, with God. We want to be people who are not kind of, not really engaged or not really excited about who God is and who Jesus is. We want to be passionate. But in some ways, sometimes that word, we, the way we use it, can kind of just mean emotion or just excitement or enthusiasm, like, yeah, let's be really passionate. But if things actually got really hard or really difficult, or actually maybe following Jesus led to some opposition or some difficulty in our lives, actually maybe we wouldn't keep being passionate. Like it, it, the, the fire might kind of go out a bit. Uh, it's like, well, things are good. Yeah, let's get excited. But actually, if things go really hard, how can we still be passionate? But it's interesting. I was thinking about this word passionate, and it's actually related, obviously, to the word passion. And passion has often been used to refer to Jesus' suffering, which is like we have the movie The Passion of the Christ. And it's because the history of that word, actually, passion then relates to suffering and to suffer. And we still see it in our language today with the word compassion, like, which means to be with someone in their suffering. But the way we use the word passion often doesn't really have much to do with suffering. But what would it look like if it did? If that we talked about being passionate for God, passionate for Jesus, not just in an enthusiasm or like an excitement, but in a willingness to suffer, in a willingness that actually, if we were opposed, if it led to... Um, drastic circumstances, if it actually affected us negatively, if it made life worse and life hard, could we still be passionate and actually willing and engaged no matter what sort of reactions and responses we get from people? So we're going to kind of talk about that, that sort of theme of being on board even in pain and suffering and difficulty. And this is actually the experience of a lot of people throughout the world who follow Jesus, um, that it, it some, for many it costs them their lives, may cost them their family, may cost them their jobs, they may need to leave their country. Um, For many people, they're they're not in safety to follow Jesus. And that's why it's it's so great. Um, Nathan Harding's coming next week. 
He's been to Iraq and spent time with persecuted Christians. He's, he works for Open Doors, and their job is to support persecuted Christians all around the world. So he's coming to share next week, and he's going to tell some stories and, and like amazing things that God's done in people in terms of giving them faith and, and passion and confidence in suffering. So it's, it's, it's cool to be talking about this leading into that, but I don't really feel qualified to share this message. Like, I haven't experienced much persecution or opposition. Um, it's pretty safe here in Australia. Maybe sometimes people think you're a bit strange for being a Christian or being a pastor. That's about it. Like, it's not, it's not like what a lot of people experience. So I'm not really sharing tonight from, from where I'm at, but what I want to do is share a passage from Paul, the Apostle. Um, and just preach from his story and his experience of suffering and his passion for Jesus that is even strong throughout that. So I want to share this passage. It's in, it's in Philippians. And Paul is this man who used to be named Saul. He actually persecuted Christians. He would put them in prison. He opposed Jesus. He thought he was doing the right thing. And then he had this amazing encounter with Jesus alive. And he recognizes that He's actually alive. The one who died on the cross is alive, and he's actually the true king, and he's the Lord. And Jesus forgives Paul and calls him to follow him and to tell people about him, and his life is transformed. And he writes most of the New Testament. He sets up all of these churches. He just gives his life to Jesus to serve him completely, even in the midst of mass suffering and persecution and eventually death. Um, But the amazing thing is that when he writes, he doesn't, Right, like maybe we would think he would write talking about suffering. If he had all this opposition, we would think, oh, he would be frustrated about it, he'd be upset about it, or he'd be complaining, or he'd just want to get out of it. We see something very, very different when we read Paul. So I'm going to go through Philippians 1 from verse 12 and just take out some some principles and ways that he sees um, his experience of suffering as even able to be passionate and willing to suffer in the midst of it. And I suppose that he's like an example for us. And for many of us, we don't experience that um, now. I mean, who knows what the future holds. And, but maybe you do in some ways. Maybe there is some experience that you have of actually following Jesus does actually make your life harder. And people do make life difficult. And there is suffering. And, and maybe it's not necessarily violent, but it still might be social. It might be emotional. And actually, what does it look like to be passionate even in the midst of that? So I'm going to pray, and then, yeah, we'll look at this passage in, in Philippians. So Jesus, we just thank you for your word, and um, just thank you for your work in the Apostle Paul, and, and for his writing that you've spoken through, and just how you change hearts, and for his faith and love for you, Jesus. And yeah, would you make us passionate people like him? And, and Lord, just speak to us um, tonight through his story, through his words, your words through him. Um, and yeah, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts, God, re- renew our minds, transform our perspective, and just, yeah, would your spirit be working in our hearts tonight? I just pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so Paul is writing um, a letter to this church in Philippi. He's in prison. So he's been serving Jesus. He's been announcing the good news about this king who's, who's died for sins. He's alive again, and, and he's been locked up for it. And he's writing to the Philippian church. And they also experience some opposition. Like it, it's probably not as bad. Maybe it's kind of like it's harder to get work or maybe they've lost their jobs or some people are upset at them, making life difficult. So what does he do? This is what he says to them. This is in Philippians 1 verse 12. He says, I want you to know, so he's speaking to them, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What's happened to him? He's been put in prison. 
he says, actually advanced the good news of Jesus. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul doesn't say it's so hard in prison. It's so uncomfortable. It's so difficult. I just wish I'd get out. He actually says, I'm in prison. I can't go out and tell people about Jesus. But actually, more people know now because I'm in prison. People know that actually I'm here for Jesus. And as a result, people are talking about Jesus. And actually, the fact that I'm in prison means all these other people, you would think that they would be afraid and like pull back. But it's actually had the opposite effect. They've actually said, well, Paul's strong, even, even suffering. Actually, we're going to go out and speak. There's this boldness and this strength. And Paul's actually saying, he says, what's happened to him being put in prison has actually advanced his mission. You think it would make him look like a failure or it'd make life difficult or block it. He's saying, this has actually helped what I'm most passionate about, which is people knowing Jesus. He keeps going. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. He's saying people are talking about Jesus and they're doing it for all different kinds of motives. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. So some people are passionately love out of love for Jesus and Paul and this message they're telling people. He says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. There's other people that are talking about Jesus with bad motives. And it could be a couple of things. It could be that they are Christians who are kind of competing with Paul and they want the status and they want the attention and they want the sort of the limelight and they're like, here's our chance. Or it could just be that these aren't even really Christians. They're just kind of the average people in the street. And they're not really like, they don't believe this message, but they're talking about it. And there's this guy going around saying that Jesus is alive and this, this new king and that he's died on the cross. And they're just sort of talking about it and they're kind of mocking him maybe. But Paul's response is, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He's saying, actually, me being in prison, there's these people talking about Jesus, the message about Jesus is getting out. Whether or not their motives are pure or not, that, that doesn't really bother him. He just wants people to hear the message. And he's in prison, and he says he's rejoicing. It's like, this is crazy. And actually, from Paul's perspective, suffering can actually lead to success. He's, someone's opposed him. He's been blocked from doing what he wants to do. It looks like he's a failure, but actually it's leading to greater success. Tom Wright says it this way, How often are we tempted to feel discouraged because the plans we had were badly thwarted or because malicious people were trying to make life difficult? So we, we have a plan, we're doing something God wants us to do, and then there's a block or there's something that goes in the way. For Paul, he's been put in prison. We need to learn from Paul. And long before from Joseph, it's a story in Genesis of Joseph, the art of seeing God's purposes worked out through problems and difficulties. That God is still at work even in the midst of problems and difficulties, even particularly in the midst of problems and difficulties. God meant it for good is something that Joseph said. Joseph's story is, again, he's sold into slavery. He goes to prison for false, something he didn't do wrong. His brothers forsake him. They do this evil. And the end of the story Joseph says, well, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In the midst of my suffering, God was working. Paul says, the king is being announced. I'm going to celebrate. Actually, this looks like a bad situation, but actually God is working it for good. God is in the midst of it. It's not like God's not here. He's right there working for good. 
I haven't actually been drinking this, but I know lots of people are drinking filter coffee more often. It seems to be like the popular thing now. And I think Paul, in some ways, kind of had a filter. It's something that something things pass through, or like when you have like water, you might use a water filter, or they use filters in all sorts of things. And in some ways, he had a filter of his circumstances and his life. We might kind of look at Paul in prison, and you say, "Well, that's just a bad thing. That's just going to make life hard. That's a failure." But he filters it through God's purposes, God's work. That God's actually able to work in that situation, and says, "Actually." People are meaning this for evil, but God is working it for good. Whatever was happening to him, he could see that actually things don't look good, but that doesn't mean God's not working. He could actually filter it through the lens of God's goodness and God's ability to turn evil situations into good, even when it looks like there's no hope. The, the climax of the story being Jesus on the cross, the, the most tragic thing that could happen, God was working for good in the midst of that. Therefore, in all situations, we can use this filter to see he's working for good. Other New Testament authors again say this: say say things that are like to the kind of normal way that we might think. It's it doesn't seem very polite. It maybe even sounds kind of offensive. James says to people suffering, consider it pure joy. Like they're facing trials, they're facing difficulties. He doesn't say, "Oh, life's so hard. I'm I'm sorry, I have to face this." No, he says, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters." When you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, he says. He says to Christians again who are facing difficulties, pass it through the filter of God's goodness and His ability to use it for good. And actually, a test of faith and opposition and trial is going to create perseverance. Is going to create faith. It's going to create greater passion for God. Paul says in other times that it creates greater hope. That actually God can use it to shape us and grow us. And and give us boldness and strength and make other people here like like so he says actually when you face a difficulty don't don't just complain and 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 back off and say this is just terrible consider it joy because of what God can do in it and again that that sounds crazy like it's a whole different way of thinking、um, but it's so common throughout the New Testament so Paul straight up is it realizes and the reason he can stay passionate even when opposed is that suffering can actually still lead to success. God can be at work in the midst of it. He keeps going though, and we get some more sort of insight into his heart and his his way of viewing the world and and the depth of his faith. He says this: Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So he's rejoicing in prison, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Basically, he's saying he believes that. By the Philippians praying, by Jesus working by His Spirit, He will be released. So He's in prison, potentially could be facing death, but He's confident that God will release Him, that God can work, that He can do that. He says, "I eat," but 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 at the same time, if that doesn't happen, He doesn't really seem that bothered at all. He says, "I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no ways be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life." Or by death, you start to see Paul's goal is not comfort, it's not survival, it's not himself at all. It's that Jesus would be exalted, and he says, if that's in my life, that's good, and if that's through my death, that's good. My goal is that Jesus would be exalted, and and what, what happens to me? He sort of says it doesn't really bother me. He actually says that he says that explicitly in Acts as a passage. He says, I don't really care about my life. I just care about completing and following what Jesus has called me to do. That that's what I care about, but. He goes even even greater than that, because then 
There's this famous line that he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Again, this is crazy now because he's not even saying, well, it doesn't really bother me if I live or die. He's now starting to say, actually, to die benefits me. It's actually advancing me. It's actually gained for me, which is a crazy way to think about life and death. It's not a normal way. We, we would normally approach death as something that that's like the worst thing that could happen. But Paul's in that jail and he's actually saying, well, life is about Jesus. And if I die, that actually helps me grow closer to Jesus. I actually get to be with him. And actually, it, it's a benefit to me. This is not saying like the experience of death or anything like that, but actually Paul recognized that to die as a believer means that you are with Christ. We see him, he kind of explains some of this. He's even going through like an inner wrestle with this. It says this, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So if he's going to live, it will mean continuing to serve and love Jesus. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, two desires. A desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So he's saying, actually, he has a desire to die. It's not, he's not at all suicidal. It's not like a masochistic thing. It's not at all like glorifying death. But Paul knows that actually on the other side is Jesus right there, and actually a closer intimacy with Jesus than he has right now, and actually what he most wants is to be with Jesus. And actually, that, that, that's what will be the result of, of death. But at the same time, he says, but Jesus called me here to serve him, and it's important that I keep doing that work. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He's saying, I, I need to stay here and serve you. Like He's saying, I have this desire to be with Jesus. But what's important is to stay here and serve and, and fulfill his call and, and help these churches. And he actually says, like, he's confident that he's going to be released, that he'll see them again. And because that'll be an answer to prayer, they'll, they'll be excited and they'll boast in Jesus and, and praise him because he's come through for Paul. But we get this insight into Paul. If he's passionate about Jesus and he's facing opposition that could even result in his death, but he stays passionate and engaged because for him, death can even be desirable. Which again, it seems crazy. But the way that he views death as a Christian, when Jesus has defeated it, Jesus has given new life, and actually death means to go to be with him, that's Paul's thinking. That actually, if I die, I'll be with Jesus. This guy, Alexander McLaren, says it this way, One thought about the future should fill our minds, as it did Paul's, that it is to be with Christ. Again, the point is not the experience of death or anything like that. The point is that actually on the other side is Jesus. And Paul, when he's thinking about it, he's recognizing actually as soon as that happens, I'll be with Jesus. And he's not suicidal. He said this is, this is a noble and worthy reason for wishing to die. It's not because Paul was disappointed and sick of life, not because he's weighed down with sorrow or pain or loss or toil, but because he would like to be with his master. Paul, Paul's not... Paul's not at all saying, like, I'm done with life, I'm just sick of this prison, or it's just so uncomfortable, or I'm just tired. Like, that's not at all. Paul is full of life. Paul is full of energy. He's, he's got enthusiasm. But his deep desire is to be with Jesus. And he knows that that will be the result. Um, and then, then, then he's saying, actually, that's what I desire. 
this guy, Alexander McLaren, keeps going. I'll read out some more quotes from him. But he gives the illustration of a, of a train. And we kind of normally think of death as like the big ending. It just, the unknown. Who knows what will happen? It's just this daunting thing that we don't want to talk about. We don't want to think about and just kind of avoid. But he talks about for a, for a follower of Jesus, it's kind of like your life is, is the, the um, rails of a railway. Of the, a train goes, goes along. And you're going in this direction. And, and the life of a believer of Jesus, to, this direction is about Jesus. That we, we have died and we have a new life with him. And now we follow him. And he says, actually, if that's the direction of our life, we're just going along this train line. And death is like just moving onto a bridge. And it's actually, there's no difference. What's essential about life, which is about serving and knowing and loving Jesus, will just pass into one form into another, and actually it's just greater intimacy and greater closeness and greater connection. There's not this big disruption. It's not this great unknown. It's actually Jesus is right there on the other side. He says it this way. If we magnify Christ in our lives with the same passionate earnestness and concentrated absorption as Paul had, that means if basically if our life is all about Jesus, like Paul's was, our lives, like some train on well-laid rails, will enter upon the bridge across the valley with scarce a jolt. He's saying our life, if we pass into death, actually is, is no big deal, no, not even a big jolt. Actually, just life with Jesus continues. It's eternal life. It doesn't end. He says no jolt, no pause, no momentary suspension of consciousness, no reversal, nor even interruption in his activity did Paul expect death to bring him. So Paul was not freaking out. He wasn't this, death is this big, crazy thing. He said only continuance and increase of all that was essential to his life. Basically, what mattered to Paul would continue after death, and it would increase. He would actually know Jesus even more with greater intimacy and greater closeness. Again, that, that, that's sort of not how we normally think about death, and even seems, it feels like a crazy thing to even teach on. But is basically what Paul says. Like he, he literally says he desires to depart, to be with Jesus. Actually, his picture of the future is intimacy and closeness with Jesus right there. And there's times when he's writing other letters where he actually does seem kind of afraid of death. Like he, he talks about it. So this is not like he just is fine all the time. Like there's, there's still the emotional fear and the, the just human emotions and, and reactions. But in his heart, he, he actually knows actually... Jesus is right there. And actually, even if they did the worst to me, it's actually a benefit. It's actually intimacy and closeness with him. So he keeps going. He's kind of been talking about himself. And now he starts to speak to this church in Philippi. And they're, they're experiencing some difficulties. And he says this to them. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So no matter how people treat you, no matter what happens, live in response to Jesus the way that Jesus calls us to live the way that he lived. Live worthy of the good news of Jesus. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. He's saying, actually, what's so important is that you stay unified and together. This church needs to not be divided. It needs to be together, especially if there's opposition. They need each other. They need to be united together. And then he says this again. He's saying these things that just seem crazy and even kind of offensive, but it's just a whole different way of viewing life. He says this, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. He's actually saying, don't be frightened even. 
of these who oppose you. Actually, just be calm and confident. And actually, if you respond that way, they will notice. It's actually a sign that actually you're in touch with some reality. There's a truth to this Jesus. And actually, if you don't freak out, people start to recognize there's something going on. Like, how are they not afraid in this situation? How are they standing strong? It's kind of like, um, imagine if you're in a situation, say if you're at a work site or an office or in a school, a boss or the teacher or someone um, is, is replaced and there's a new boss and you've met them and they've talked to you and they've said, this is the new way things are going to happen here on the job site, the office, the school. Like, this is how you need to do that. And it's actually, it's actually different to how it was done before, but the boss tells you directly. So you start to do whatever it is, the job, the way that the new boss says to do. But there's all these other employees who kind of think that you're wrong, and they just keep doing it the way it's always done, and they even start to oppose you, and they start to sort of say, what are you doing that way for? And if you're just confident, you say, well, I know, the boss told me. This is the new way. This is who's in charge. He told me to do it this way, so I'm going to do it this way. And if you just hold that in, in strength, eventually people start to think, well, hang on, like, they're pretty confident about that. Like, actually, it's, things seem to be shifting in this direction. That's kind of Paul's point. Actually, if, if you're not afraid, but stand strong, it's actually a sign that actually this is where life is actually heading towards Jesus. Those who oppose Jesus, actually, that's not where life is heading. That's the life that's fading away. So he says, actually, stand strong. And then this, this is the part that I, that I meant to say that seems kind of crazy and kind of offensive. He says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. He's talking to a church that's suffering, who people are opposing them. And he doesn't say, it's so hard, it's so difficult, I just, we'll just get you out of there as fast as we can. He says, this has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. And the word granted there is, is linked to the word grace, which is linked to the word gift. In a sense, he, he's saying to them, it's a privilege what you're experiencing. Which again, that seems kind of crazy. And almost to say to people that are suffering persecution, this is, this is a privilege. If it wasn't Paul saying it, it almost sounds kind of offensive. But it's, but it's this, this picture that actually it's a gift that God is actually at work in the midst of it. Eugene Peterson trans- translates it this way. He says, there's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffer for, suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. It seems a crazy picture that, that to view suffering for Jesus as a privilege or even as a gift. And again, this is, this is not at all saying that the suffering is good. This is not saying that evil is okay. This is not saying that God is doing the suffering. But it's saying that actually in the midst of it, God can be at work like we said before, that God can be growing faith and growing perseverance. But the the common sort of theme in the New Testament, that is actually we follow Jesus who was crucified, who was rejected and crucified. And actually we represent him. And Paul's saying to them, you're representing Jesus. And if you're suffering for it, it's actually a sign that you're united to him. It's actually that you're you're going the path that he went. the, The one who is the most important in the world went to the cross. And you're going the same path he went. There's this privilege around it. This author says that New Testament authors regarded suffering as a privilege 
because they saw it as a way of identifying and sharing in Christ's suffering. It was a way of uniting with Jesus. And, and you see this through Acts. Jesus says this, blessed are you when you're persecuted. That means like you're advantaged. Like how lucky are you to be persecuted? It's kind of how he says it, which seems crazy. But actually that God is at work in that. There's actually a privilege even to persecution. And it, this is uniting with Jesus. And we kind of think this seems just, just such a different way to view the world, that Paul would say actually suffering can lead to success, death can be desirable, persecution can even be a privilege. Like how did Paul get to be like that? Like is he just this really tough, like passionate guy that just like pushes through everything? And, and maybe that's true. He seems like a pretty tough guy, but like I think there's more to it. And really, we see this in, in some bits, but the truth is he's this passionate guy in the sense of being willing to suffer. But it's because he's following the most passionate one. Actually, Jesus, if we say the passion of Jesus in his suffering and his death, that he's, he's passionate about the Father, about his creation, about us, not just in an emotional sort of nice feeling sense, but in a sense of being willing to suffer. And later on in Philippians 2, Paul talks about Jesus who was in heaven, equal with God, gives it up and becomes a man, becomes a baby, lives a life of misunderstanding and rejection and, and just in secrecy, and then comes to people to tell them the good news and to share the life of God with them, and they reject him and they mock him and eventually crucify him and, and put a crown of thorns on his head and mock him as this king and actually... Jesus endures all of that because of his passionate love. And actually, in the midst of that, it looks like failure. It looks like a life of just pain and suffering, eventual death by ultimate humiliation, one of the worst ways to die on a cross. But actually, God was involved in the midst of all of that. And actually, Jesus is mocked as a king, but he's actually becoming king. He's actually defeating death in the midst of that. He's actually going to the cross willingly to bear our sin, to bear our suffering, to take our place. That actually we, we've been, uh, we deserve God's judgment and, and, and death for our sin, but his passionate love for us would actually take our place and bear it instead. That's not only that, but then Jesus defeats death and, and the power of love defeats the power of evil and he comes back to life. And he's alive forever. And, and what looked like the most tragic thing that could happen, God worked for the best thing that could happen. And the world has changed ever since. And he's made a way back. He's torn down the curtain. He's alive forever. He's in the midst of the worst suffering. He's made the greatest defeat and the greatest victory. And Paul got this. Paul knew that Jesus, <laughs> that crucified king who is Lord. And Paul experienced his love. He has this verse where he's talking about this in Galatians one time. He says this, thinking about how he views himself and his life. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says he considers his life dead. His life is completely absorbed and all about this Jesus, this King. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. His life is about trusting. It's this confidence in this God who would love him like that. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And actually, this is what our God is like. Passionate, willing to suffer, would give his son, would give his life for us. And Paul, Paul got that. It, it shifted something in his heart. It's not that he worked it up. It's that he realized, actually, this is who Jesus is. And he was in love with Jesus. He trusted him. He gave his life for him. And the same way, we can be passionate, not just in an emotional sense, but even in a sense of being willing to suffer. When we see the passionate love of Jesus, that would suffer and die for us. It's not that we need to work something up and just be really tough and, yeah, we're going to suffer. It's actually, well, when we see Jesus and who he is, we actually say, well, he's the most important one. He's the one I trust and love. And actually we trust and it's all by his grace and his empowerment that we would be able to stand up under persecution and suffering anyway. We just trust in him and live by faith in him. And actually we can do that. And maybe life might even look like a failure, but God could actually be working for success in the midst of that, the same way he was working in the cross with Jesus. We could serve Jesus passionately and again, this is not our experience, but it is the experience of many in this world. And, and even just to imagine what if this was our experience, that if we were opposed even to the point of death, that death can actually be desirable. Now, Jesus has defeated death, and death actually means to be with him, united with him. Actually, what's most precious can't be taken. And actually, persecution can be a privilege. What may look like failure and shame and rejection actually unites us with Jesus, who was rejected and served and loved. And we can be passionate even in suffering when we see the passionate love of Jesus that would suffer and die for us. And this is kind of crazy, like, like I said. Like, this is it's pretty heavy stuff tonight in some ways. And, and I kind of prepared this message. Um, it kind of came to me a few weeks ago just quite easily, actually. It was just kind of just things fell into place and the scripture just kind of made sense and it wasn't really too difficult to sort of see Paul's points. And, and it was only last night, really, that it kind of started to hit me, like the weight of this. Like, this is intense. Like, this is, this is full on. Like, actually, Jesus went to the cross. Like, we hear it so often. We're kind of like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. That's good. Like, yeah, thank you. That was great. Like, not, not being like, he went to the cross, to crucifixion. Like the God and King of the world went to the cross for us. And actually, we're called to live for him with our whole life. And for most Christians, for many Christians around the world, that, that means to suffer for that. And actually, would, would we be willing to do that if, that if it came to that? Or do we kind of just protect and, and, and hang back? And actually, when we look at the Bible, that... The common themes throughout the Bible again and again is people that trust God and follow God and stand up for God, they are rejected and they're mistreated and they're persecuted and they're rejected and most of the time killed. Like again and again and again, that's the common theme throughout the Bible. All of, pretty much all of Jesus' disciples, um, multiple people throughout the Old Testament. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter that has all these people of faith and most of them despised, mistreated, rejected, killed, live that doesn't really look... That, that like, like a good advertisement for Christianity, like if, if we're saying it's about having a good life. This actually goes throughout the whole Bible, even the passage that, that um, Louisa read out before, that the idea that at the center of the universe, the throne of the world, the one who sits on it, is a lamb who was slain. 
the God and King who rules the world suffered and died on the cross. That's actually central to life. This willingness, this passionate love, and even willingness to continue in love, even in opposition, even in difficulty, even in hardship. But again, that's, that's not really the experience um, for us in the West. We have a lot of freedom, which is something that we'd be thankful for. Um, but at the same time, there's different challenges with that, that actually we can be so comfortable and have such a comfortable life and we just sort of are used to it and can just kind of get lulled to sleep and life just so easily just becomes about living and just becomes about the next thing and just and about, about money or just about relationships or family. And, and, and we sort of forget that actually, no, life is all about Jesus. And actually, we, like all of that is secondary to him. And actually to take this posture that, that Paul has. And this is, this is kind of been heavy tonight, and it's like suffering, persecution, death. Like, like that's intense. But in many ways, it, it, it's about life. Like, what is life actually about? What is, what is central? What is, what is worth giving everything for? Martin Luther King Jr., who followed Jesus and stood up um, in the civil rights movement and lost his life for it, stood up strong against injustice, against evil, and, and suffered for it, said no one really knows why they are alive until they know what they die for. But again, we kind of live life so often free from death. We kind of don't think about that. What would it be like to think, actually, what, what am I living for that I'd be willing to die for? Again, another, another um, young man who was killed as a missionary going into a um, South American tribe, he was speared, trying to, trying to share the good news with Jesus. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He actually willingly went into this situation knowing that he could be killed, saying, actually, it's fine. I, I don't count my life dear. I count my life and service to Jesus. And that, that, that life that I give to him lasts forever. No one, no one can lose that. So he actually gives it away. This has actually been an experience with so, so many. And even just sort of sharing this um, and, and, and studying this, it kind of is this challenge that like, I don't really feel like I have that, that passion or that willingness to suffer. I haven't experienced that. But even just hearing these stories and, and hearing Paul and, and the next week we'll hear Nathan, it just, there's this shift and just can even create this prayer of, of God, I want that passion. I want, I want to love you like that. I want life to be all about Jesus, so then death is just gain. Like, I want to be able to serve you no matter what happens. No matter people are opposed or there's difficulties, we stand with Jesus and, and live like he did. And, and that, that's a challenge. It's actually something that God wants to work and, and shape us, that we can live that way like, like he did. Um, so we're going we're to respond in a minute. What, what I'd like you to do is if you could stand, stand up, and we're going we're gonna to take a little bit of time to respond um, tonight, just because this is kind of a bit of a heavier message, and, and in some ways you don't want to be like, okay, that's good, let's go get some dinner. Like, we want to we sit with this for a bit. Um, and Steve is going to come and, and just sort of facilitate this for a little bit with us, and just sort of being open to God and, and just creating some space. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll hand that over to you, Steve, and you can, you can lead us.